welcome back to Getting to Know You. Uh, special edition this week, I have uh, three people that we are going to talk to today. Uh, we're going to talk to uh, Leah Seeley, uh, Chris Dwyer, and Michael Duffy that make up the social action subgroup of the Facing Racism group of St. Catharines and uh, St. Sebastian's, which is uh, pretty cool. We've never had a three-person panel before, um, but when I started talking to them, they said, we've been doing all our work together. It would make sense for us all to talk together. And mm -hmm. I thought makes sense to me. So um, hello, uh, hello, Leah, how are you? Good, thanks, John. Hi, Chris, how you doing? I'm doing great, thanks for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, hi, Michael. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Good. So, um, uh, just so people can get a feeling for who you all are, uh, Leah, would you mind uh, telling us about yourself and uh, who you are and what you do in life? Great. Yeah. Um, I wasn't born here. I was born born in Omaha, Nebraska. So I speak Midwestern, <laughs> and um, from there, I grew up Presbyterian met my husband, John, in college. Uh, we got married and a week later, uh, served two years with Jesuit Volunteer Corps in Belize, which I attribute to a lot of my formation. They call it Novitiate for Life, and I think it's pretty apt uh, billing for the program. Um, from there, we lived in Washington, DC for several years and worked for the Jesuit Volunteer Corps and then moved here to Milwaukee. John works for the Jesuits, uh, the Midwest province. And um, the last, let's see, the last five years, I've either been uh, in an internship for spiritual direction. I'm a spiritual director. And then the last couple of years, I was at Sacred Heart in their um, uh, master's theology program. And speak very highly of it. So if anyone is interested in doing a lay program for um, systematic theology, it's a great program. And our very own Pat Russell is there too from SEBS. Uh, he told me about it at Irish Fest and <laughs> I was hooked and I have a great cohort and I'm still working with them. Um, Shanidra Johnson runs the uh, cafe at the cathedral and during pandemic we've been there every Sunday making sandwiches so yeah so that's a little bit about myself all up until now and then we do have three kids they're all young adults uh, two of them are out of the house and uh, they all went through the day school very good um, Leah I have follow-up questions where did you serve when you were a JVC yeah so we were in Belize in Central America uh, Belize City they have a Jesuit all-boys school, and that's where John taught theology. And I was at a girls' school for underserved women. I had a one-room classroom, so I taught all subjects. And I probably learned a lot more than they did. But um, <laughs> we had a great experience there. We learned a lot about how we live our life now, which I would like to think it's very simple. Mm -hmm. uh, filled with faith and social justice and building community. And that's what I think church is all about. That's interesting. Uh, the last interview that I did was with um, Dan Hallahan, and he said that's that same thing coming from a Capuchin background, that that value of simplicity has been very 
um, important to him and kind of guided his life. And then here, here you're saying that again, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I got to know you uh, a little, in a little unorthodox way. You and I got to do cone patrol. We did the morning drop off at St. Sebastian school when I was a, a new parent and you were the veteran uh, and you showed me the ropes of, of how to navigate a, a, a grade school parking lot in the morning. You were a great student, John. Really, <laughs> you really get, took to it right away. Yeah, well, you know, when I showed up on time, it was okay. Yeah. <laughs> and you look great in orange. Yes, yes in my, co my cone costume, I, I got to pull out sometimes. That was fun. Yeah. Uh, hey, Chris, uh, so, uh, thank you for patiently waiting. Uh, um, can you tell us about, about you? Sure. Um, yeah, so I'm from originally from Milwaukee. Um, and I went away to college and after college, I also did uh, uh, Jesuit Volunteer International. I did service in, um, at a, a, a high school in the Federated States of Micronesia, which is a small, a series of small islands spread across the equatorial Pacific. Wow. Um, so I taught science and math and a little bit of English there. Um, coming back to the United States, I taught at a nativity school in on Chicago's west side. Um, and while living and working in Chicago, I met my now wife who also worked at um, the Chicago Jesuit Academy. Um, and when we had our first kid, we thought maybe time to move on from um, Chicago and I had really gotten into uh, gar gardening with my students at the school. And the goal was to try and inspire them to grow their own food. And I accidentally inspired my own self. <laughs> so I had to leave the school and I dragged my wife uh, to Madison to work on an organic vegetable farm. And after a little while there, I came back to my hometown and started my own farm. Um, so I, I, I Ran a farm for uh, a couple of seasons. What kind, and, of, what kind of food, what kind of vegetables did you grow? So uh, I would grow um, about fifty different varieties of vegetables, and it was um, I would sell at some farmers markets. But what I found most successful was the CSA model, where a family would subscribe. Um, a lot of neighbors on uh, 49th Street and um, the surrounding St. Sebs area would sign up for a basket, and I would uh, deliver weekly whatever was in season. So. Um, yeah, so it was about March, uh, from about, about St. Patrick's Day to Thanksgiving, uh, was, uh, farming for me. And then in between, I, uh, I had taught at, I taught science at Mesmer High School. I, um, taught at, uh, Catholic East Elementary School for a little while. So, you know, bounced around a little bit. Right. Um, and then, uh, I know like that experience, um, one thing you know like we really wanted to stay in the city and realize like okay it's kind of be kind of tough to have um this you know the business the farm would have been growing but we ran into you know you can't you can only get so big if you're going to farm in the city so yeah. um one thing that i really understood um deeply doing that farming was the importance of our water resources so I then pursued a master's degree at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee in the School of Freshwater Sciences. Oh, and through that, I, I wound up at my current job of working at the Milwaukee Metropolitan Sewers District in the planning 
uh, department. So we decide what you know pipes need to be fixed and what at, at the Jones Island treatment plant we should build and what technology we should use. It's a really fascinating field that I did not think I would do when I was you know five years ago when I was digging in the dirt, you know, pulling up beets and carrots and stuff. So it's been quite a journey. Um, but like um, that's just my work. I mean, my family is hugely important to me, and they've you know come followed me along all these twists and turns in my life. So I have um, a lovely wife Clara and three kids. Um, who are seven, five, and three, um, and you know it's it's great. This living in the Washington Heights community with so many other great families in the community of St. Sebs is is really just wonderful yeah. uh, for me and my family. So yeah, yeah. Um, uh, how did you? I don't even know what I want to ask. I have so many questions. Um, <laughs> When you were when you were deciding on your master's program, did you know that you would like what what was the interest in water? Like, how did that come about? Um, you know, like, so, well, it goes kind of goes back to, um, in a way, it goes back to college where I thought like I was going to do JVC. I was going to I wanted to be a teacher because I knew that education was going to save the world save the world yep and then when i was a teacher i was like oh i've discovered farming and i was like oh no we need to do farming to save the world <laughs> and then now and then when i was farming i realized how important water is to farmers and growing our you know like just basically sustaining our society i'm like nope we need to do water to save the world so i mean and and and, and none of it discounts the previous one but it's just i kind of have my experience has followed me to the kind of the next thing and and uw milwaukee we wanted to be in milwaukee and uw milwaukee has a fantastic program that looks at all aspects of water resources from the very technical to the to the social impacts of water and the cultural impacts that are really important here in Milwaukee in our, you know, unique situation next to um, Lake Michigan, so. No, absolutely. I mean, it's it's really important, but it's not something, it, it's ironic. We, uh, I'm doing an alpha a small group process. And just yesterday we had this uh, video that was talking about, I, I, I'm gonna forget the number, but like the, the amount of access to clean water in the world, the people that don't have that, you know, like it was a billion or something like that. Now maybe down to 600 million something. I mean, it was like, I couldn't, I couldn't believe the, the, the struggle that people have for something that's so basic and, and kind of critical to our experience, so. Yeah, in a lot of ways where we live, we are so fortunate to have what seems to be a never ending resource, but it also exposes us to, when you have something that's so available, you can kind of take it for granted. And it really does take a lot of people and a lot of work to make sure that the generate, you know, that us and, and generations and generations to come have this because so many other people around the world don't. So yeah, we're really I think that is what I was, feeling. I was feeling like, oh my gosh, I so take this for granted, this, this wonderful gift. Mm -hmm. Michael, can you talk about what Michael's doing right now and just anything else you want to say? Because I think what he's doing now is huge. Yeah, and, and, to be, and so Fort McCoy is the location where a lot of um, refugees from Afghanistan are uh, have been located, and there's tremendous, and it's like, and it's wonderful, I, from what I know about it, it's like, they need a place, and we're going to do our best to have them, and, and it's great that they're there, I think, but because it was such a hasty, it had to be assembled so hastily, there are, there's a huge need for help, 
um, to just make these people's lives livable. And I know that Michael is there just, I think, responding to the very immediate needs of the population of people that are living right there. Yeah. Uh, Michael Duffy, you are, uh, where are you? Can, you, can you share with us where you are right now? Uh, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Um, <laughs> it's uh, Army Base, Fort McCoy, um, and it's up uh, somewhere in the middle of the state. Um, but it itself is very large, it, um, and it's, uh, uh, it's huge. And so, largest number of Afghan um, uh, I guess we, we avoid the word refugee because they came on a special, um, um, what's it called, a special immigration visa, mm. uh, which doesn't mean they're going to simply walk into the United States. Uh, they'll go through the entire uh, process uh, that refugees go through. Uh, but uh, because of their relationship with the U.S. military, uh, they do have that status. And there are 13,000 of them here. And uh, another, oh, I don't know what it even adds up to, 70,000 um, in six other military bases around the country. Wow. All waiting, all waiting and hoping that they will uh, have a chance to be resettled. Um, so that will engage uh, lots of people in a lot of communities. In the, here in Milwaukee, Lutheran Social Services is uh, a, what's called a resettlement agency. So they, uh, you know, it, it's they who will receive uh, a 48-hour 40 hour, uh, notice that uh, X number of Afghans are arriving at Mitchell. Um, and then uh, they hopefully will have housing. Uh, available even if it's just an Airbnb for two nights mm -hmm. until they can move them into uh, something more permanent. So uh, in that regard, I hope St. Sebastian's uh, parishioners will uh, be able to be part of uh, the assistance network uh, because they will need a lot of different services and those we wouldn't want expect any one sponsor um, to be able or to be required to do you know, doctor's appointments, uh, groceries, um, uh, government offices, English language classes, um, and uh, who knows what else. Um, let me let me take a we can I do want to talk more about it, but let me back up and um, first, in case people don't know much about you, can you just tell us about you, who you are? You're a, 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 a Professor Emeritus at Marquette University and very involved in the Center for Peacemaking. Uh, what, what would you like the, the group to know about you? Um, yes, that was my, um, again, that is my identity. <clears throat> um, I, uh, I still work with the Center for Peacemaking uh, on a limited basis. Um, um, my, I guess one of my great passions is working for uh, peace, especially uh, learning the skills of effective um, conflict resolution and uh, struggling for justice um, and doing it successfully. So I, I think about that a lot. I write about it. Um, I recently published a book called War No More, 
um, an introduction to nonviolent struggles for justice, seeing uh, nonviolence uh, personal level, but on a wide social level, uh, um, and also uh, looks for ways to overcome uh, violence in our own culture, uh, which we've seen much. Um, and certainly in the time of COVID, even, you know, even well, racism, uh, response to COVID, you know, really raised questions about, uh, about compassion and common good, um, and really our big chat, um, really challenge us uh, to, uh, to converse with each other um, and to overcome this polarization we see. Um, so I'm, Excuse me, I'm interested in all those things. I do try to apply them um, since I've been here. But the Afghan culture, um, they too have um, uh, conflict. It's not race, it's not skin color, but it's, it's language. And, um, you know, as the identifier of people's tribal um, identity. And there's a fairly large amount of conflict, um, you know, between um, these, you know, these tribal groups. Um, you don't hear that so much in the news about Afghanistan, but it, it's a big factor. Um, a fair amount of uh, just aggression, even in um, young children, uh, which I think we conclude has its origins in uh, the way families discipline their children. So, um, you know, you, wherever you go, you kind of see the need to um, you know, to work on conflict so that it isn't passed down uh, from one generation to the next. Um, hey, Leah, while I'm talking to you real quick, and you've talked about this, this Jesuit kind of uh, influence that has been part of your journey for so long. Do you mind talking a little bit about your faith uh, and how it's impacted? You talked about the simplicity, but, but uh, you know, how do you describe your faith today? Right. So I mentioned that I did grow up Protestant. And I have to tell you that I think that that has a lot to do with my, my uh, understanding of faith, that it's not just Catholic, it's not just Protestant. Um, and really, in the seminary, I also learned about other faiths and how they inform us as well. And, and as a spiritual director, again, I'm learning through other people, right. you know, their faith journeys. You also myself, are, you're also a fan of peace, I can see. Yes, a big fan of peace. Yeah. <laughs> it covers my closet. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but so really that's um, how, you know, through the program, uh, Jesuit Volunteer Corps, you come together, and Chris knows about this too, but that's for him to tell you. Right. That you come together as a community to share, share prayer um, um, and just, you know, pray together, be together. That, that was a huge part. And I think we still try to include that in our lives now. Yeah, that's good. And then um, your work as a spiritual director now, has that been challenging, life-giving? How would you describe that? Both, because, um, you know, COVID's brought on a whole new realm for meeting with directees. So a lot of them through the last year and a half has been through Zoom, which is really interesting, but starting to meet with people in person again, which has been great. Um, during COVID, I also formulated a group and this might be 
of interest to your viewers because um, there are several spiritual directors in the greater Milwaukee area. I'm not the only one. And I compiled the list and invited on Zoom uh, a peer group and we meet monthly. There's over 20 of them on my directory. Wow. So if you're interested in spiritual direction at all, um, I do have a list what, with, like I said, with over 20 directors in the area. Uh, they are religious, lay, men, women. So really, we, we have a little descriptor paragraph. So I think anyone could, could no, find that's awesome. that. I recently have had people ask me about that. And so this is good. So if people are looking for that, we can connect you to Leah, which is awesome. Right. Um, uh, Leah, I'm going to ask you one more question, and then I'm going to move on to Chris. And the question is, uh, uh, the three of you are working on the spirit, on the social action group. What is what, what have you done, and what has that meant to you? Right. I'm going to let Chris talk about the one that he led. Okay. Um, Lisa, your wife, and I are working on a program that, that the three, Michael, Chris, and I talked about formulating, and now we're, and believe me, we had several meetings building up to this, but we are going to do for the middle school kids at St. Sebastian and in the faith formation, a program called Facing and Erasing Racism. Do you see how we brought facing racism into that? <laughs> so Facing and Erasing Racism, Michael takes credit for titling it, and I give him <laughs> double thumbs up because I love it. Um, so we're going to meet on November 21st. It's a Sunday, and the reason why you haven't you know, seeing a, a, a big broadcast about it is because it's a pointed group. We just want the middle school kids from our school and from the faith formation. So we're calling it a pilot program because we it's never been done before. And essentially what it is is uh, teaching um, the students how to do circle uh, discussion. It's not a dialogue. It's people telling stories of their experience during this time. And so we wanna give the kids a chance to hear each other and to learn from each other, but also have um, some heartfelt uh, personal encounter with each other. Yeah, that's good. You know, I was doing something similar in a class I was doing and I was picking Lisa's brain and, and she told me about the question, I'm gonna put you on the spot, the question that you often open these dialogues with. Do you, do you remember what that is? Uh, when was the last time you experienced joy? No, <laughs> she, said that, she said that you, um, that's a good question too, but she said you often will start by asking groups of students or whoever you're working with, when was the first time you were aware of the construct of race or of your race? And I, I thought, what a powerful question. Mm -hmm. Right, and we usually do start with the other one just because everyone can easily answer that question. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yes, that other one, of course. Um, and you're going to get a variety of answers. Right. Now, see, you know, and the concern is for the adults, it, it's going to be harder because <laughs> we've been living with this for so long. And I'm really curious. In fact, I said to Lisa, we need to let the kids know that we're not doing this for you. We're doing this with you. Mm. Uh, we want to learn from them because as we know, young people have been uh, leading in a lot of these social justice issues within the last, you know, at least the last seven, eight years. 
Absolutely. And they kind of inherently seem to be motivated or understand it in a different way, I think. So I think it's a, a, a worthy conversation to have with, with our yes. yeah. mm-hmm. Thank you, Leah. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, M- Michael Duffy, can you talk a little bit about your faith, about uh, obviously you're living it out through your action and, and your work establishing the Center for Peacemaking. Why, why is that such an important part of your faith journey? Well, I, I would say that um, renunciation of violence um, and hatred, the essence, in, you know, the depth of Christianity is, uh, you know, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Right. Um, you know, I think it's, um, I think it's pretty much foundational in the Gospels. Um, so I've, I've always uh, felt that uh, that was pretty much non-negotiable. Mm. Um, and that it also is the way of uh, the way of Jesus in the um, Chris, it sounds like I mean like you have been very just open to where you've been called next. I mean, not everybody has that kind of trust. Would you would you say that about yourself? I mean, I try to, and I think that was so one of the things about uh, Jesuit Volunteer Corps is you have to you, you kind of sign up, uh, sign on and and you're you are willing, you are open to being sent where you need it, where the need is. And that was something that was really attractive to me because it's about, and you know, and over and over and over again, in all of my life experiences, I've been taught that you've got to, that letting go of control of the next, you know, is, is a really, really um, valuable thing and so hard to do, but- um, Is it scary? I think, scary, yeah. But like, you know, I, I try to be, you know, like, okay, what, is, what, is, what am I called to do next? And if it's to continue with the thing that I'm doing for the rest of my life, wonderful. But I, I guess I've found, called, I've been called multiple times in my life to make pretty significant changes. And I think a lot of people are, you know, and so, but, but it, I don't know, it's been, it's scary, <laughs> yeah, but it takes trust, I guess. Well, especially when you have a family, when you have, you know, little ones, like all of a sudden, I, I remember there was like a shift inside myself where I was like, hey, yeah, I, I'm going to go fix oh, I have people that are relying on me now. <laughs> That's scary. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah. I, I felt uh, less courageous after that in some ways. Yeah, and, and I think, okay, so a couple of things I, I think of when you say that is like, it has been, um, but first of all, my wife is is amazing. It makes it easier to, to take risks when, you know, you have a community around you that's going to support you like you know family um neighborhood parish and so on and so forth and then the other thing is yeah like i i wouldn't anticipate myself going off to live in micronesia again you know (laughs) now now that i have little kids but i think um i think part of this my um uh maybe in my involvement in facing in the facing racism group is related to this where it's like what is what am, what am I what risks am I willing to take? What sacrifices? What changes am I willing to what make um, to to achieve the thing that I'm called to next? And I think that's that's definitely part of it in my life now. Yeah. And I'm not gonna you know like I have a family. There's a certain amount of stability, but we are still called to like. There's still so much radical change that and and conversion that needs to happen. Right. Um, so yeah, right. and, and yeah. 
Is that, um, is that, I was gonna ask you why you joined the Facing Racism Committee. Is, is that what motivated you or, or what would you say about why you're- Well, you know, I had, um, I, I went to the, my interest in racial justice issues goes back a long time. I went to Milwaukee Public Schools being one of the only white people in my school and seeing also seeing how different the lives of a lot of black people in Milwaukee are um, left a real strong impression on me throughout my whole life. Um, so it's always been something that's been in me, but obviously in um, the summer of 2020, um, I think like a lot of people, um, it was like just feeling like things are not okay is not okay anymore. And I, what, what was great was that there's this already existing really energetic group of people at St. Sebastian's that were um, thinking and talking and praying together about it. And so I, it was like, it has become a real outlet for me to, um, I don't know, feel like I'm participating in making things better in some way. Um, and connecting with people like uh, Michael and Leah uh, helps because they're pretty awesome too. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it is about that, like, you know, I could sit and, and think on my own or whatever, but like that community aspect uh, of it is so important. And, and really it's just impossible to do by yourself. Um, we have to, we have to make change as a community and, and this, all the, the Michael and Leah and all the people in Facing Racism group are, are really like um, creative and energetic and generous with one another. Um, and I, it's been a really, a real blessing to be a part of it. Yeah, um, I, I, I just I would feel bad if I didn't go back and ask you this pointedly. I, you, you, everything you're saying, clearly your life is informed by your faith. Uh, and you've mm -hmm. talked about it, but I wanted to ask you more directly, can you articulate the role of faith in your life and, and, and what that's meant to you? Yeah, um, so I think I would, I'd say I'm strongly influenced by the Jesuits. Like, so I went to, so I went to MPS and I went to Marquette High, um, which is a Jesuit high school. And I was like, and where all, all the other kids that had come from a Catholic school were like, oh, oh church. <laughs> I been there, done that. For me, I was like, this is cool, you guys. Aren't we like excited about this whole Catholicism thing? This is great. And like, so I kind of, I came to it at the, like, the exact right moment in my life. Um, and, um, and then, um, you know, Jesuit spirituality, you know, like really influenced me through high school, through um, after college, I did JVC. After uh, coming to Chicago, I, I lived in an intentional community based on some of the same values that were in um of uh community spirituality social justice and simple living that we had practiced in micronesia um yeah. and taught at a jesuit school so and so really it's, it's always been um it has it's been interesting because um it has always been through this kind of not i've, I've never really had my spiritual spiritual home be my parish it's either been my school or this program or this community that I was living in. Um, but now coming back to uh, Milwaukee and being in the St. Seb's area, I'm not part of anything like that. And so it's a new experience for me to call, to have the real center of my spiritual life, be my family and be uh, St. Sebastian's parish. So um, it's, 
it's different from what I have uh, experienced in the past, but it's great to, you know, for example, you know, Leah did the same uh, Jesuit volunteer corps program as I did. So we, we share similar ideas and values and share some spirituality. Right. And, but I'm also called to change my faith and, and grow in new ways um, just by being a member of St. Sebastian's. Yeah, yeah. What was it when you were in high school? Like what, what's, what attracted you? What sparked? What was that? What grabbed you? The, there was one teacher uh, that, you know, freshman year theology class that it was, um, gosh, I wouldn't, hard to even say what it was, but just that there could be, a, there was a personal relationship aspect of it, both between myself and God, and that that relationship also is between each other, and, it, and it's a faith that's both personal, but calls us to do justice. And that's what I, um, I think that's what really woke it, woke up within me that um, when I was in high school. Yeah. I, I, I think I was a sophomore in high school and, you know, went on my first service trip and it was like, oh, faith in action. That, that, that makes, it clicked. It was like a click moment in the mm -hmm. uh, John 13 washing of the feet. I'm like, oh, I get this now, you know, the, the, a similar similar experience I didn't do JVC but uh I, and I I'm always in awe of pe people that do do that especially international that was that that I'm sure just took so much courage maybe it felt exciting at the time but it was very exciting and I will say I I you know the simple living and the community we almost when you go to another country we almost had no choice but to do that um I really respect the people that live those values living in the United States, where there's so much consumerism, so much materialism, um, so much else that is available. Right. Where I lived, we kind of were forced to live a simple life because there wasn't anything else. Right. Um, so it, in a lot of ways, it was harder to practice those things here. So yeah. I really respect the people that do it well um, in, in our society that's so yeah. in a lot of ways antithetical to those values. That, that makes so much sense to me. I, uh have a relationship to a parish in Peru and I always talk about how happy they were and I said you know it, it it actually makes sense because they don't have the all this distractions we have all they have is them and God and literally nothing else they have nothing else mm -hmm. and so it becomes very clear to understand that relationship between um you know who, who they depend on and yeah right yeah that's absolutely true um, I want to ask you about uh, specifically the work you're doing with um, uh, social action uh, in the Facing Racism group. Uh, Leah talked about one program. What, what are kind of some of the things that you have uh, worked on? Well, one of the things that I led early on was um, it, we wanted to look at there's a, about a, a specific legislation. Right. And the first piece of legislation that came up was, or that came up for discussion was this uh, bill HR 40. Um, it's a bill in the US House of Representatives to create a commission to study reparations for slavery. Um, and very quickly through talking with Michael and Leah, we realized it's like, this is a, uh, we bit off quite a big chunk for the first thing. This wasn't just like something very simple. This was like, a, a huge thing. And so we we took a long time in educating ourselves about it. Yeah. Um, and what we ended up doing was a, a, a session, a Zoom session on 
the link between this uh, HR 40 bill studying reparations and the sacrament of reconciliation um, and how doing something like this process of figuring out reparations for the United States is very similar to the process of a person um, looking back at their own life uh, and recognizing sin and atoning for sin. So we talked about the parallels between those and I thought it was really amazing and, and a lot of, um, and, and, and again, I guess it's a similar thing. Like, so coming out of that, there were a lot of questions and it's like, okay, we looked at this at a national level. So now let's look at our own parish. So a lot of our work since then, or some of the work has been looking inward at kind of like how how does that how does reparations how does atonement how does um, how does self reflection work on a neighborhood and a parish level? So yeah. we've been again spending a long time looking at those things. So. Yeah, I was part of that initial Zoom program that you ran. I was so impressed with it. I just was that clearly the homework you guys had done, but also tackling such a. Uh, complicated, heavy issue and doing it with such grace. It was really well done. It was, uh, well, thank you. yeah. And I just, uh, I was like, it was a moment when I was, I was like, I am so proud to be a part of this parish and this group. It was very cool. So thanks. Thanks for the work that you're doing. It's, it is, it is, it's been transformative for me too. Like, I don't think I didn't like start that night feeling that, you know, I guess I learned so much through the through the process of preparation and through the through sharing those things with my fellow parishioners too and it's like it is really a transformative experience yeah yeah it's good um i uh uh i wanted to ask all of you but i'm uh, just gonna uh, maybe you'll have to speak for everyone we'll see <laughs> um what uh when you think about the future what do you hope for or what what do you think the social action group hopes for and maybe those are two different questions i don't maybe the, they're not i don't know yeah um yeah it's uh we are you know a year and a half removed from the summer of 2020 right. when i think a lot of our thinking uh, across the country shifted on issues of race and racism and it feels to me like we are there are still so many people that are energized and uh and then add to it the pandemic like who would have thought that we would have been having this on zoom uh in you know almost two years from the beginning of the pandemic right. um and so we are it's always been like okay something is gonna change soon but we're like oh, this might be the new normal right and like um and so i think the future for us means like it's it feels like right now we're kind of taking a breath and getting ready for that next push i think we've we've really put our focus on this facing and erasing racism our, our small group has put our focus on this facing and erasing racism group and again it's like we see this as let's have this experience um let's reflect on it and where does and like get feedback and where are we called to next and so it's really a moment of I think of inflection and of a moment of openness to what's what's next. Do we do we lean in and, and plan these for bigger groups or different groups across the city? Do we go uh, and you know talk about some other piece of legislation, or do we do all of them at once? I, so I guess my hope um, is that we really are attentive to where the spirit's calling us, um, and I feel like it's you know I'm not one to 
you know, I guess the where I where I'm feeling is like it's just calling us to greater engagement, greater greater action, um, and uh, and finding new ways to do that as we in some ways come out of the pandemic, but in some ways are you know still still, right still sticking with it, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's what I hope for. I guess I I, I don't know you very well, but I, it seems to me that um, listening to where the spirit is calling you has been kind of a theme of your life, actually. <laughs> I guess yeah, now that I'm talking about it, yeah. <laughs> so why not why not keep that going in the future, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't have a plan. I mean it, it it's a good line for people that don't know what they're doing and just don't have a plan, I guess. <laughs> what what honey, what are we gonna have for dinner? I let's listen to the spirit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's actually that is what is for dinner tonight uh, at the Dwyer house. <laughs> I don't know. That was it ends up being mac and cheese a lot. So <laughs> that's where the spirit um, calls us. Yeah, ordering pizza, right? Um, yeah, right. <laughs> um, um, Leah, I wanted to ask you just real quick. I, I just asked Chris this: when you think about the future and the work that you're doing, what do you what do you hope for? Well, I hope for more groups like this at our church. I think to me, this feels like church mm. because, you know, Jesus asked us to follow him. That was the message last week, right? And I loved your reflection actually in the, in the bulletin. It speaks so much to what we're trying to do here. You know, um, you read it, that tariff, that I didn't think anyone read that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, John. Um, <laughs> I think it's really important for lay people to be boots on the ground. And I, I mean, I can't be any more basic than that. The more you can get involved with things, but they have to be things that you have passion about. If, yeah. if it seems like a drudgery, then you're in the wrong group. Oh, yeah. But we do so much at SEBS. I'm just so proud of the parish for its, it's just its activity. Yeah. Uh, I remember being part of the sustainability committee. I was, I led the micro group for a while. So there's just so many different things you can do depending on what you're able to do. Mm -hmm. um, what was I, gonna, oh, I one time gave a talk at the end of mass and I think it was, you know, I can't remember what, I think it was giving Sunday or something. And I just said, you know, my kids went to school here, but I feel like I grew up here too. Mm -hmm. And I'm still growing up at SEB. So just the opportunities that are available to people if yeah. they only knew. And just being able to work with Chris and Michael has been so much fun. And we brought other people in. And um, pandemic or no pandemic, this is a good thing. So it it's a it's a wonderful thing. It's a blessing to our whole community. So I, I, and I'm so great that you're in your spot, John. I'm really uh, really excited about what you're doing too. I'm I'm having fun. I am. So mm -hmm. it it feels like a the 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 work I'm able to do feels like a blessing to me too. So and I think that's exactly what you're talking about. Is as long as it's not a drudgery, as long as it's life giving, um, pay attention to that. Keep doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, uh, Leah and Chris, uh, thank you so much. Uh, and, and thank you to Michael, too. Um, thank you for all the work that you do. And it's an absolute uh, privilege to be able to talk to you and continue blessings on your work together and blessings on your journey. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.